Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. Well, good morning. And I was wondering this morning because it was like 9.30 and like nobody was here yet. And then now people are here, but it's like not a lot. And I realize it's because I'm speaking this morning. <laughs> Somehow everybody, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Somehow everybody figured it out. <laughs> um, but it's great to be here, and I'm super excited to share um, just what I feel like the Lord has in my heart uh, this morning. We finished our series um, through the Sermon on the Mount, and then we've been kind of going through First John. And so um, this is like a free-for-all message, if you will. Um, and the last, I would say, couple months through just uh, conversations at Life Share Group and things we've been talking about in youth group, um, it's kind of led me to what I'm going to speak on. Um, but as I, it was the Lord kind of doing something to me, I felt like, man, I think this is something that our church can benefit from, that um, I feel like anybody can. <laughs> but uh, it's been really encouraging to me. And so we're going to actually be in the book of Nehemiah this morning, chapter 8, if you want to turn there. And... Um, the part we're going to be at, um, it's important to just kind of remember and remind ourselves of how we got to this point in the Bible, in, in this moment in time. And so uh, what's kind of happened in, in the story that leads up to this is that there's this people, the Israelites, who God has chosen okay, to be his uh, just... Uh, symbol of holiness to the world, uh, a people chosen to uh, live out his purposes on the earth, but unfortunately they are not good at it. Um, they rebel, they do the opposite of what he's asked them to do, they're judged for it, and then uh, where they're placed, they're living, Jerusalem in the, in the city is, is ransacked. They get taken into captivity by a foreign nation, and they're there for 70 years. A generation goes by. There's people who are born who all they know is they re, they hear stories about what happened to them before. And the, all they know is captivity. And then finally, through God's grace, they're released. And then they're able to go back to their home to rebuild. And so you can see there's like this tension. There's a people who are returning to home. Some who maybe remember it. Most probably don't. They've heard about it. And so um, I'm going to read nine, uh, Nehemiah 8, 9 through 11. And this is where we find ourselves. They've returned to Jerusalem. They've rebuilt the wall. They've rebuilt the temple. And now um, we get to this part in in this this, uh, book. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day is holy to the Lord. And do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people saying, be quiet for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. 
And so the, the law of Moses is read, the first five books of the Bible, things they, they probably know, it's called the Torah, and they've heard as they've grown up, it's read to them after they finish rebuilding, and the response is they just start weeping, because they're, they're remembering the sins of themselves, the sins of their ancestors, how far they've gone from God, and it just takes a toll on them. So in this moment, they're weeping, but in their weeping, and, and, and probably just like feeling like horrible people, it's not that Ezra is like, yes, remember how horrible you are, right? And he beats them when they're down. His encouragement is in this. He says, do not grieve. This day is holy. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. And he calls for rejoicing. And it's this verse that I feel like has really just been on my heart. The idea of the joy of the Lord is their strength. What does that mean? What does that look like for us? Obviously for them, it was really important because Ezra's like, hey guys, you need to be reminded of the joy of the Lord, okay? This isn't a, a sad occasion. God never left us. He's been with us. His grace has shown immensely. And now we are back with him. We're back in our homeland. We're back with our people. He has been so gracious, so merciful to us. God is glad they have returned, and his plan is to restore what was lost and broken to these people. The day is a day of joy and celebration because the people have returned, and God has been waiting for them. God never left them. They constantly rejected and left him. But now they've returned. God is glad. It's a day of celebration. So this morning, we're going to take some time to look at this verse, the joy of the Lord is their strength. And when we start, I just want to ask the question, where is your joy? And what I mean by that is, where is it found? Um, where is it at this moment? <laughs> Maybe you feel like, man, I haven't sensed the joy of the Lord in a long time. Maybe I haven't even really experienced that. I think as people, we need to experience joy in our lives. And more specifically, as Christians, our lives should be marked by joy more than anyone else. <laughs> we have the greatest reason to be filled with joy through Jesus Christ, right? Like the, what Jesus has done in our lives should be enough for our lives to be filled with joy. But things in our life wear down on us. Things we face in life take its toll on us. And I think our joy is buried underneath it. We face hard times. We face pain and suffering. We face opposition from others. Maybe it's friends, family, co-workers, neighbors. And these things take its toll and we lose sight of our joy found in the Lord. I think we also live to experience happiness. We chase material things that give us moments of joy, but really these moments are fleeting, and in the end, they left us wanting more. It's even written in our country's constitution, right? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of what? Happiness. <laughs> it's written in our constitution, this idea of pursuing happiness, but the joy of the Lord is something completely different. God can give us joy through like material things and things like this, but the problem is we turn it into a God, we turn it into an idol, we put it before him, and that's not the joy of the Lord. That's not what the word is talking about. We can see it in examples like this. Jack Whitaker, a West Virginia man, won a $315 million Powerball jackpot in 2002. 
At first, he gave millions to charity, including $14 million to start his own foundation. But later, a briefcase of $600,000 in cash was taken from him and his car at a club. His office and home were broken into multiple times. He was arrested for drunk driving. His granddaughter died under suspicious circumstances. And by 2007, he had lost all his money. And all he had to say was, I wish I tore that ticket up. This is an extreme example, right? But we also have these happy examples in these situations. A lady, Sandra Hayes, who was a social worker, she was making $25,000 a year. And her and her 12 coworkers in 2006 won a $225 million jackpot. After taxes, they all made $10 million. She bought a Lexus, her dream car, a half-a-million-dollar house in St. Louis. She paid off her home, gave it to her daughter, her granddaughter. She quit her job, started writing, published a book. But she agrees that the wind didn't transform her outlook on life. In the end, this is what she had to say to NBC News. Just because you win the lottery, it does not change you as a person. We chase happiness, but it doesn't change us as a person. We pursue it thinking it'll make life better. Uh, we pursue it thinking it'll make us a better person. But in the end, it leaves us wanting. In this story in Nehemiah, we see that he wasn't interested in just rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. Like on the outset, when we read the story up to this point, he's been called to go back to Jerusalem, gather the people, organize them, rebuild the walls so that they're safe from opposition, so that they they now have like this guard and a home where they're at. But that ultimately wasn't his interest. I think rather he knew that the joy and restoration that was to happen would only come from an inner strength in the Lord. The, the inner restoration had to supersede the outer restoration of the city. The people's hearts needed to be changed, and we need to rebuild from within so that the joy of the Lord can propel us to move forward in our walks with Him. We need to run to the source of joy itself, who is God. And we forget this. We, we need to remind ourselves that joy, the joy of the Lord isn't something that he has, it's who he is. It's not just something that God is like, have some joy, here you go. Like it's this physical thing he holds in his hand or something, like it flows out of himself. He is joy. So when we think about running to the source of our joy, it's ultimately running to the Lord. It sounds simple, <laughs> but we forget and, and we don't realize these things, right? We're like Israel who just rebels and forgets who the Lord is and these amazing things he's done in their lives, parting the seas and miracles in the wilderness and all these things. They forget that and they want these other things. They chase kings and they chase uh, idols like golden calves and all these things that lead them further and further away from the Lord. But this morning, I just want to encourage us that... To think about the joy of the Lord and it being our strength, the only way it can be our strength is if we run to the Lord himself where we receive the joy of him. It's always flowing from him, so we know there's no end to it. Israel searched for these things in all the wrong places. People came to rebuild the wall, and they knew this, and that's why they're weeping in the scene that we just started reading. They're overwhelmed by how far they've gone from God. So as we turn to God and obey Him, we experience His joy, and we must learn to look forward to the joy that God has set before us each and every day. 
in the joy of simply being obedient and following him. And I think that's where it is. I think we can oftentimes not do the simplest things of acknowledging him in the morning, right? Lord, thank you for this day. Turning to him first thing or at night or during your day, a continual conversation with the Lord. And over time, the more and more we don't come to him, the more and more we don't do these simple things of just following him and reading his word and and listening and obeying him, we lose sight of our joy. Maybe you've been following Jesus for years, um, but you've grown cold in your walk with the Lord. Maybe you need to cry out like David did in Psalm 51.12, Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Do you remember when you first received Christ and that joy that came over you in the Lord? And, and maybe it was a mo- this moment that like spoke to you. Maybe it was over time where you just felt the Lord calling you in and drawing you near. There's this joy that we receive. That joy isn't just a moment, though. It's a continual journey that he wants to bring us on. The joy of the Lord is something we grow in. It's something we learn to trust in him for. Because in the hard times we face and in the opposition, we can easily lose sight of that. So joy comes through obedience to God. Simple obedience. And it's something that we have to fight for. We lose sight of God, and the enemy wants nothing more than to steal our joy. So when we think about the joy of the Lord, it's something that we need to uh, choose. It's not something that we just feel like this warm, fuzzy feeling. We need to constantly choose joy, because when we choose joy, we're choosing God. We're choosing to follow Him and be obedient. But these things battle against our joy. And especially in the midst of our complaining and our worrying. I think these two things, when this week and when I've been working through a sermon and kind of praying about it, I think, I was thinking, what are the things that really fight against our joy? And I mentioned some of them, but when I think about worrying, you can attribute that to the things we face, like hard times and suffering, right? Complaining is another one. And so these two things, I thought, man, If there's anything we need to fight for when we fight for joy, it's that we need to wage war against complaining and worrying in our lives. Over the last, it seems like a year now, my, um, my grandma just had, or has had a rough time. She, she's lived in Arkansas, um, her whole life, 40 years of it by herself. Uh, she moved back to Massachusetts with my parents, which is a huge blessing. At the same time, she's faced, uh, just, medical issue after medical issue, just every week in the hospital, in and out. Um, she's 87, and just last week she was diagnosed with stomach cancer. It's inoperable, um, so they're looking at palliative care. And so the situation itself, when I think about my grandma, my heart's just broken because I'm like, man, you're 87, and you've already gone through this so much, and then you're diagnosed with this, right? Um, when I talk to my mom, her grandma's crying as the doctor's just talking to her because at that point you know. You know, you're getting close. Uh, also, my sister still uh, still is dealing with cancer herself. Um, she has been since November, and we have some answers, but she is still um, going through care and treatments and things. And when I think about these situations and just, I'm, I'm not there. Obviously, I live here, and so I can communicate, and it's really good. Um, but for my parents who are in the thick of it, 
who are with my grandma and who are getting woken up at two in the morning because my grandma passed out on the bathroom floor and was going into medical coma and all these things like, I'm like, man, that just takes its toll, right? This, maybe you're not dealing with this exactly, but even little things we can think of, uh, fights in our lives with our spouse or people or other people, like the, the simple things we can think of, they, they pile on each other and then all we see is that and we lose sight of joy. I'm susceptible to worry about these things, to be overwhelmed by them, to be overwhelmed by what's happening with my grandma, to be overwhelmed with what's happening with my sister. And it's easy to fall into bitterness and despair. But I need to remember that God's promise is that joy will come. Psalm 35, those sorrows may last in the night, joy comes in the morning. That's his promise. And, and the promise, the joy here, isn't like, you know, I'm like, God, I just want to feel joy even though I'm going through this crappy situation. The, the joy isn't that. It's not the feeling. It's the knowing. It's knowing that God is near in the midst of this, this pain, in the midst of the suffering. That's the joy. That's where we can find the joy. And that goes back to the idea of just simply following the Lord, knowing that God is near each and every day. When you wake up, He's with you. When you, when you're going through your day, He's with you. When you're going to bed, He's with you. Like He never, he, He's not going to leave you. He said that. I will never leave you or forsake you. He is always near. So even in the worst time of your life, the joy is that He's near. We can't lose sight of that. I think we can still think He's near and He's with us and know that, but still be angry and overwhelmed, and that's valid. Like, <laughs> we're humans. We should have those emotions. But we shouldn't lose sight that because He's near, that brings joy. But I must choose this, and it will be my strength to get through. The joy of the Lord is my strength when I'm facing these things. A show of hands this morning. Who has ever um, gone out to eat, right? You got like all your food, it comes in, and then you pray, and you start to eat, and you start complaining about everything, right? You're like, oh, this burger's not done enough, or the steak is too rare, right? Who, who's ever complained about their food? Like, awesome, so there's a lot of liars in here. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> what about if you've ever gotten mad when you're driving or in traffic? Show of hands. What about the weather? You complained about the weather. What about your kids? What about your spouse? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> what about someone here at church? All right, that's extreme. Okay. You get the picture, right? There, there's, these are like daily things where I find myself complaining all the time. Driving down the road, I'm like, oh, that dude didn't use his blinker. Dang it, you know, whatever. Complaining. It's so easy to just turn that switch on, and it's harder to like have a positive outlook. We're humans. We're so susceptible to like negativity and cynicism that that itself causes us to just completely lose sight of joy in our lives. And Israel did this in the wilderness with God, right? Picture this. You're in this wilderness. You have no idea where you are. All you know is there's a cloud going around. You're following it. And like, the, and you're being guided by God. And you're like, oh, we're hungry. And you're complaining. God sends food from heaven. Like, it rains down food from heaven. And they make bread in these cakes. And they're eating it. And they're like, oh, like this bread is just not doing it for me. God, can we have some meat? Like they start complaining. They want meat to rain from heaven. I just think, like, oh, my gosh. You're like, however many people are, hundreds of thousands of people, and God is raining down food, and you have, and you're eating it, and you're still not fulfilled. You're complaining about how you'd rather have meat. 
But when we choose joy in our complaining, we are filled with thankfulness. When we talk about waging war against like being worried, we know that God is near in there. When we talk about waging war against complaining, we need to be filled with joy so that our lives are lives filled with thankfulness for what God has done. When we're thankful, when we constantly have that on the forefront of our mind, there's no room for complacency. It's an expression of joy. And when we're fulfilled with complacency, it doesn't fill us with joy. So we can learn from from Israel. We can learn from the things. Um, maybe there's something that popped in your head in this morning. Like, man, I complain about that, right? Maybe there's something that popped in your head where I've been worrying about this. Well, the problem is we become apathetic or we become just lethargic to joy in our lives. Um, maybe it's uh, sort of like me where um, in the past like month I feel like I've just been living kind of day to day where I'm like, man, I know I have this. It's Monday and I have this event on like Wednesday and it's going to be awesome. And so I'm just like counting down the days to that thing. And I'm like, that thing will bring me joy. Or it's, um, you know, whatever it is, we had our anniversary last weekend, and so I'm super pumped for that, right? God, this is going to be awesome, amazing. That I'm, When I experience that, that's when I'll be happy, I'll experience joy. And this is the opposite, because God wants to remind us that it's in the day-to-day things we have a choice. We can choose to, like, look forward to these one-time things, and yeah, we'll experience joy, and the Lord will be, it's a gift, you know, from Him, and it's great to experience that. But that's like just a small view of the joy of the Lord, I think. Each and every day, we have the chance to wake up and think, Lord, where is your joy today, God? Where is the joy of the Lord when I'm, I'm on my way to work and I'm thinking about all the things I have to do? Or I'm waking up and I know I'm taking care of kids and I have all these just crazy things that are overwhelming. God, show me this morning the simple joy of following you, God. Where are you in this craziness? As I kind of make my way to the end here, um, I think the thing about choosing joy and and about looking to the joy of the Lord as our strength is that we can easily not put it into practice. And so what I want to do is I want to share just three ways today that you can put choosing joy and, and find the Lord into practice. The first one is that we can practice joy today by being filled with the Holy Spirit. And I mean that in a continual everyday thing. Because joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Um, we watch, we watch this video at Life Share, and this is, this kind of got me pumped up in the end, you know, it's led to this message, but in it, this, this group, it's a band, they're talking about how, um, they've just chosen joy as a group and all these things, and they say this, they say, um, we've realized as a community that, uh, joy, or sorry, <laughs> Maybe you could say it better than <laughs> We've realized that seriousness isn't a fruit of the Spirit, but joy is. And that's what it is. Seriousness isn't a fruit of the Spirit. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. And that has just spoken to me so good. I'm like, man, that's true because we often can just be so serious about things. But when we ask the Lord to fill us with the Spirit, He'll fill us with joy, Right? Because he wants to grow in us the fruit of the Spirit. Peace, patience, kindness, and all these things found in, in uh, Galatians. But this morning, I want to encourage you and challenge you guys. When was the last time you asked for the Holy Spirit to be a part of your life? 
When was the last time you asked the Spirit to just fill you with His fruit, with His peace and joy and patience in these things? He's a helper for a reason. (laughs) Jesus said, I'll send you a helper. And it was the Holy Spirit. But we forget that. We try and do it all on our own. But, But Jesus sent Him so He can fill us with all these good things. The second thing is that we can practice joy today by being generous and giving. In verse um, 12 in the same chapter, Nehemiah 8, verse 12, this is what happens after Ezra and the, and the, and the priests encourage um, the Israelites. So in verse 11, so the Levites, they calmed all the people. They said, be quiet, this day is holy, do not be grieved, verse 12. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. This idea of sending portions is giving. He's, he's saying, and right before that, he says, give to those who have nothing, right? Right after this, they're going to celebrate the festival of booths, a week long, um, a festival where they live in tents similar to what they had to stay in in the wilderness, celebrating the goodness of God and they're feasting. And there's people, because they've come from exile into this, who probably have nothing. Pretty much all of them probably have nothing. <laughs> but the people who have something are asked to give portions, to give and give to others. And it says to give portions and make great rejoicing. They're, they're put together for a reason. Our neighbor, uh, this past week, she's awesome. We love her. She makes food for us every once in a while. And she went to culinary school. So it's like, woo, it's amazing. And this last week, she made, we were gone. Actually, she made it and she made us like, she's like, it's a little snack, but it was like a full plate of like lunch. These roasted turkey sandwiches and, and fruit and chips. Like it was amazing. And it was cool because, um, she took a picture and she posted it on like Facebook and was like, oh, I made this for my neighbors and, and I'm so ha- excited to give it to them. Right. And it's this, what I'm talking about. She's excited and it fills her with joy to give this simple meal to us. Brooke returned the favor and she posted that later and was all pumped about it. <laughs> and, and when we give of what we have, the resources, however little, however much, whatever it looks like, it's not just financial resources. It's physical things. Maybe it's letting somebody borrow a car, giving them that. Maybe it's just giving them food like our neighbor did. Simple things like that. This fills us with joy. There's something about it that draws us nearer to the Lord when we give. But we hold on to things. <laughs> we keep it tight. We keep it tight and close to our hearts. And that doesn't fill us with joy. It covers our hearts. It guards our hearts from others and from the Lord, more importantly. The response from Israel in this moment was to give of what they had. And they did so and rejoiced. And that leads me right into the last part, which is probably the most important, which is we can practice today by celebrating, not just celebrating in general, but celebrating everything and giving God the glory. Because it says at the end of this verse 12 that they made great rejoicing. And then right after this, they have a festival for an entire week and they celebrate God and who he is. Celebration is one of the greatest outworkings of joy in our lives. And, and though we celebrate this on specific occasions like, uh, like our anniversary the other weekend, or maybe it's a birthday, it's Father's Day, um, holidays, etc., it should be a part of our daily lives. Because there's always a reason to celebrate. 
when you wake up in the morning, what's like the first thing you really do? You realize you're doing. Maybe you don't always realize it. You breathe in air, <laughs> right? I have breath in my lungs. Like God has given me breath in my lungs. You can celebrate that. We can rejoice. God has given you the air in your lungs. You're able to breathe because he made it. We can look outside at creation. You know, there's a lot of buildings here and things, but God made the people who made those buildings, right? He created that. Nature and these amazing things we see, we can celebrate those things. Salvation through Jesus obviously would be like the greatest thing we can celebrate, but we forget about that. That's why we remind ourselves of the gospel and what Jesus Christ did for us. God is the God of celebration. He created it. He created it in, in this journey that we live right now culminates in the greatest celebration there ever will be. In eternity, like when God brings all people to himself and he returns, at the end of it all, there's going to be a celebration, a wedding like you've never seen. Between Jesus Christ, who's the groom who has been waiting for this day more than we can think. We just went to a wedding and they're like, that feels like forever. We had to wait forever to get married. It was like seven, eight months or a year, right? Jesus has been waiting forever. To us, it's thousands of years. To him, well, I guess to him, it's he's outside of time. So anyway, that's a whole different discussion. But he, but he is he is ready for us to come to him as the groom, or sorry, yeah, as the, as the bride. Yeah, my mind's all place, right? The church, us, and there's a celebration. And there's feasting, right? I picture dancing right now. They're even rejoicing now. They're glorifying God in heaven at His throne, and then there's going to be even greater celebration when we gather together. And so our lives, following Jesus and looking to Him for everything, culminates in this amazing celebration. So why aren't we practicing it now on earth? Why don't we practice it in the simple things? You can you can wake up and breathe and start dancing, <laughs> right? We see, sometimes I, sometimes we only dance at weddings. Why is that? <laughs> you know, lately uh, Ollie and I have been just dancing at home. <laughs> it's not so weird, but he's obsessed with this Bluetooth speaker. I have so he'll run up to me and go that that that, and I turn it on and we play this one song over and over and over again, and he loves it. And we just dance, and that has been so good for my soul. I like dancing. Maybe you hate dancing. Maybe that's not how you celebrate, you know. But the Bible calls for dancing, so I'll just sit there. Anyway, all right. But praising God and rejoicing and celebrating is vital. And, and this is where it gets hard because celebration is a spiritual discipline. It's something we culminate in our lives. It's not just something we, like, feel one day. We can experience it in certain things. Today you're celebrating. It's Father's Day, so, like, we have to celebrate. <laughs> but why not build it into our lives so it's, like, a part of who we are? And when done so, it brings joy into our lives, and joy makes us stronger. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Let's be encouraged this morning. Let's look towards God as our source of joy and remember all he has done for us and all he will do. This will empower us to continue in our journey of joy. Let me pray for us and um, we're going to move into a time of communion. So if uh, ushers or people doing communion, you can grab that now. Lord, this morning, thank you for your word that reminds us of the joy of the Lord, God. And, and more specifically, that the joy of the Lord is our strength. God, we we do, we face hard times, God. And, and, and it seems like this world is getting worse and worse. They may have said that 100 years ago, but God, every generation 
feels like, man, it's just getting worse, God. But as, as Christians, people who, um, should be living out this joy, whose lives should be marked by it, I pray and ask that your Holy Spirit would strengthen us, God. Strengthen us to live out joy in our lives each and every day. I ask that your Holy Spirit would convict us maybe in areas where we've been filling our lives with things that that are giving us joy and happiness, but they're not things from you, Lord, and they're getting in the way of our relationship with you. God, I pray that we would just be repentant of that, Father. Like Israel who remembered what they've done and, and the sins of their ancestors and turning from the Lord and they weeped hearing God's word. But they were filled with joy. They were encouraged by Ezra that the joy of the Lord is their strength and they should rejoice, God. So I pray you remind us and, and you reveal those things in our lives that we need to remove so that we can uh, put our sights back on you, God. I pray that tomorrow morning, Lord, even, we would wake up, God, and just have a change of heart in this journey of joy. Lord, that we would be able to practice just asking the Spirit to fill us that day, to, to guide us and lead us. Um, Lord, that we would practice just being generous in the little things, Lord, and that we would pra- culminate a, a life of celebration, God. Father, I thank you for your words in Nehemiah. I thank you that what happened thousands of years ago was just so um, relevant to today, God. The things they faced and went through are, are things we face now, God. Worrying and complaining and not knowing. Dealing with identity issues and, and who they think they are or thought they were as God's chosen people. But you remind us that uh, we are who you say we are. We are children of God, Lord. And so this morning, I just thank you for your word, God, and thank you for communion as we turn um, to it this morning. May we find joy in what Jesus Christ did this morning. And let us remember that it was Jesus's, it was God's joy, Lord, to, to go to the cross, to die on the cross, though he didn't want to, Lord. He knew what was ahead of himself, sitting at the right hand of the Father, taking our place, removing the sins that we've committed and, and taking that place, God, and, and making a way to God our Father through himself. So we thank you for Jesus, and we just we ask that you would speak to us in this time of communion together. In Jesus' name, amen.